In 2008, November the 17th, I woke up in the middle of a night, in the middle of um, a grand mal seizure, which I've never had one before. So my husband got, I came round from it. My husband rushed me down to the hospital. They put me in a CT scanner and discovered that I got um, a big brain tumour the size of a tangerine, which had spread all across the top of my head like icing. They operated the next day and to remove as much of it as they could. And when they operated, I lost the use of my legs. Um, so that was the big event, obviously, and that was the turning point in my life. My life changed from then on. Yeah. I got I got the use of my right leg back and went home walking with crutches. But then four weeks later, I had to be readmitted because I developed a brain abscess as a result of the surgery. So I had more surgery. And after that, I lost the use of my legs and my left arm. And so fought hard, obviously, to get the the use of those back. But I've never regained the use of my left leg. And so, you, so before this happened, you never had any kind of like signals of it. You never had any symptoms. It was just you had the grand mal seizure. Well, the interesting thing is when I when the consultant came to see me to say they'd found the lesion on my brain after the scan, he started asking me questions and it became quite clear that I had had symptoms, but I just hadn't added them all up. Mm. I'd had constant headaches. And after when I got home after all the surgery was over, I discovered that I'd got paracetamol everywhere in the house. So I was obviously taking them very regularly without realising. I'd also that summer started tripping up. And I just blamed it on my sandals. I thought it was my sandals. And I had a typical woman. um, And I also had... um, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, I've been tripping up and having headaches. So that those were symptoms, but I hadn't added them up. So when you obviously then found out that you you had a tumor, what happened next? Well, they they operated the next day, and as I say, removed as much of the tumour as they could and diagnosed it as a meningioma, um, which had spread across my head. And I lost the use of my legs, but regained the use quite quickly of my right leg. But my left leg remained a problem. What was the actual um, tumour that you had? Do you know the name of it? Yeah, it was a parasagittal meningioma. I never know why they've picked names that are really difficult to say (laughs) I know I know yes what that actually means is it was a benign lump as I see it so it was a growth from the meninges which are the layer which is the layer that protects the brain but the sagittal sinus is the sinus that runs through the two lobes of top of your brain and so it had gone right across those it had closed that sinus up so I had to have that sinus removed gosh and then so you once you'd had the surgery and and everything happened did they say they got it all out and then there was no problems afterwards they were quite happy with it well they they said to me they got as much out as they could but not 
every single cell because with these kind of tumors you can't guarantee with the site where it was you can't guarantee you've got all the cells out so it was classed as a subtotal resection mm. so there is always a chance that it will regrow at some stage and obviously there is very little research into benign tumors so we just don't know why it might regrow and why it might not yeah. so um, mm. when was this that this happened what year was it it was 2008. 2008. So how yeah. would you say from where you were then until now? Um, obviously, we're going to discuss that you you were diagnosed with something else as well, sadly. Yes. Um, but in terms of your rehabilitation now, how do you see yourself differently from then? Well, my life completely changed on November the 18th, 2008. There was absolutely the no doubt yeah, about you, that. You always remember the date and pretty yeah. much the time as well, don't you? I know, I know. Um, yeah, quarter past one in the morning, the seizure was. <laughs> yeah, never forget it, the day my life changed. But yeah, I worked really, really hard with my rehabilitation because my I was absolutely determined I was going to get back on my feet, and I did. But as I say, I've lost, so I've never regained some of the use of my left leg. Um, so but that I work with that, obviously. Obviously, and I make the most of what I have got and try not to focus on what I haven't got. But the second operation for the brain abscess left me with epilepsy, which right. we're finding very hard to control. So that's a problem I also live with. But again, try and incorporate it into my life. So what was the kind of seizures that you have now in the epilepsy? Is it the same kind of ground grounds? Um Big one, the big one, yeah the I've had two or three of the what was used to be called the grand mal but are now called tonic clonic seizures which are the seizures that most people think of when you think of epilepsy where people lose consciousness and shake but 90% of my seizures I feel lucky actually that this is the case are partial focal seizures and they're quite strange in their manifestation I didn't realize for a long time what they were I start to feel sick then my head feels like it's full of cotton wool sometimes it feels like a train's gone shooting through my head a silent train and then I start to cry mm. and when I start to cry I know it's over and then I can just the tears just shut themselves off immediately it's really strange I think yeah sometimes different things happen to different people mm. um, we don't have it exactly the same in terms of what yes you kind of what you can see happen is tends to be there's a no no there's other people that have the same but in terms of how it affects you personally mm. there are really different things that people get like I've never heard that one before no no well I hadn't and obviously as be I'm a nurse so or was a nurse I'm retired now but um I didn't recognize it recognize them as being seizures and uh, yeah they are very it's very very strange but I think it relates to the area of the brain that is affected and where the electrical activity arises in the brain and that's what generates the symptoms so mm. and then so you had the tumor was the size of a tangerine they said they yeah that one out but then did, what happened afterwards did you ever have any other reoccurrence um other than the seizures did you have a I think there was something I read about the uh, the first seven 
also hours operation you had a rare infection as well so yeah that was- yes that's right on the um four weeks after I was dis- I was discharged after four weeks in the hospital learning to walk again um, and came home just before Christmas and then felt as soon as I got home I, I sort of felt there wasn't something wasn't right because my walking started to get worse and worse and to cut a long story short within 10 days I was admitted back to hospital with a, ra- a brain abscess so I had to go back to theatre the next day um, to have that cleared out and they had to remove a big section of my school, which I could then call my sunroof, um, to you know lead, to make sure the infection was completely cleared. And that operation, I lost the use again of both of my legs and also my left arm. God. So when you mm-hmm. also when you had, did you have a plate put in? That's that's right. So once I'd come home, I came home with the hole in my head, as I call it, my sunroof with the scalp sewn across, obviously. So I had to wear a helmet for nine months in case I fell. But the irony of of it all is I refused to wear it in the house. And the only times I fell was in the house. So but anyway, nine months later, I had a plate put back in into my head. So, yeah, I've got a titanium top of my head now. Yeah. What is it like? to have that I mean some people don't always know what that means as in what what would it look like how does it feel or can you Mm. tell that it's there or you know what does what is it like to have those yeah it's it it, there is uh, my head feels completely different since the brain tumor surgery if I get tired or I get unwell for example I can feel the top of my head pulling um, in normal, you know, day by day, nobody would know. My hair's completely grown back, which I'm really lucky about. Lucky, lucky, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and, and there's no evidence outwardly that there's a plate in there. But as I say, when I get tired, it just pulls, the, the skin pulls, yeah. And so once this is, so you've obviously now had to deal with that, but then you were also diagnosed later on with breast cancer, Yes, that's right. In uh, 2014, it was my 50th birthday and I went for my 50th birthday mammogram only to discover that I'd got um, breast cancer, which obviously came as a massive, massive shock. And uh, I mean, I think the diagnosis of the breast cancer in a way hit me harder than the brain tumour, which a lot of people find unbelievable. But I think the brain tumour happened so suddenly and it was all dealt with and the surgery happened. And then I put all of my energy and concentration into getting my life back and getting back on my feet. Um, whereas the breast cancer, I'd already lost so much in my life and I didn't want to lose any more of me. Mm. So that that was a really big, big shock. Yeah. And how are you now in terms of the breast cancer? How are you health wise? Did they? Yeah. How? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very well, actually. And as I say to people, I've written in my blog, I consider myself to be like a piece of ham cured because the prognosis for breast cancer is obviously very, very good. There's about a 90% um, prognosis of cure. My breast cancer had spread to my lymph nodes. And so I had chemotherapy and radiotherapy and surgery. But luckily, I didn't have to have a mastectomy. I had a wonderful breast surgeon who managed to remove it all and reshape it. 
um, which I'm very, very pleased about because mm. um, that was the horrifying thing for me was the fact that I might lose some more of me yeah. and, and of my, you know, my life. So, and that mm. was in 2014? Yes, that's right, yeah. So, you so just... yeah, treatment all finished at the end of 2014, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, I think people... For me personally, I think when I came out of hospital, I thought, right, that's it. I've gone through the worst thing ever. Nothing will ever happen again. Um, this got to be as bad as it gets. But then <laughs> yeah. something no, I've you, learned is, you're, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I, uh, when, I, when I was diagnosed with the breast cancer, just utter mm-hmm. shock. Yeah. Because without even realising it, you do, I had convinced myself that, as you right, just rightly said, a brain tumour is probably the worst thing you can have. And I'll never, I've got, now got a golden ticket to get no other illnesses. Yeah. And hey-ho, breast cancer came along. So I was ever so angry. But the way I look at it is it's just pure biology. Mm. And my body seems to be able to grow things. So my my standing joke is my body's a greenhouse <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I grow things. But that's just the way it is, isn't it? You know, having one illness doesn't exclude you from getting other illnesses. That's that's life so it's kind of keeping Mm. it's like it's maintenance isn't it we should always look after our bodies and ourselves and I think it's where things just different things like you know smear tests and stuff like that or having any kind of test that they ask you it is really important to still do it and not assume that that's it I'm I'm absolutely fine because I did it I was like there's nothing else ever going to happen you said it and then it sometimes we we sit back but actually we really should continue to look after ourselves yeah Um, yeah you're Absolutely right. And the interesting thing is, after my brain tumour, um, there, there wasn't much support with, with people with benign brain tumours. That was my experience anyway. Once I was out of hospital, I was out of hospital, even though I couldn't walk out physio, but no psychological support whatsoever or any advice uh, to live my life. And so it almost took the breast cancer where his support is all around you. There was help and psychological support and cancer centres I could go to to learn that actually it is all about how you look after yourself. I've always eaten pretty well, but I'd never realised that eating a certain way can have an impact on whether or not your breast cancer or any cancers come back. So I eat very differently now, a very healthy Mediterranean diet, but also the impact of mindfulness and meditation and reducing the amount of stress in your life. And again, I had absolutely no idea that that could have an impact on on the growth of or cancers and, and general health. Yeah, so... So I do live my life very differently now. Yeah. And then so you the blog when you set it up with the mind the gap, was this before you were diagnosed with the brain um the breast cancer or was when you had the brain tumor or was this after both where you wanted to make this new blog to share all that kind of information that you've learned? It was in the, it was between the two. Um when well, I, I, my, I strived after the brain tumour to go back to work. I was a nurse consultant in a national role, and that job defined me. I loved my work, nurse for 30 years. And so I did try and go back, but I worked in Wales, and it took me two hours to get there and two hours to get back because I couldn't, tra- I couldn't drive anymore. And I did it for 10 months, but it nearly killed me. 
And in the end, Ducky Hell said to me, Dawn, just please retire, retire. So I did. And it, that was when my life sort of seemed to fall apart because losing my job, as well as my ability to walk properly, as well as having epilepsy, it just all became too much. It's kind of so what, yeah. what I, Sorry, what I started doing was writing in a notebook and just scribbling down how I was feeling. Mm. And then that, then I decided, well, maybe I need to share this because I can't be the only one feeling like this. And that's when I set the blog up. And you called it Mind the Gap A to Z. What made you pick that exact? Because yeah. everyone, when they do blogs, there's a different reason for why everyone picks the names. And it kind of makes sense in terms of the gap. <laughs> but, it's, but it can mean different things to you. So what was Mind the Gap A to Z? Yeah, well, it was multifaceted, really. You're absolutely right. Mind the Gap was about the hole in my head. Um, and also Mind the Gap was about me when I first returned to work I had to get the train and I absolutely hated it when the train pulled up pulled up at the station because to step off the train was a real real challenge and still is for me and so it as soon as the guy on the train the train driver would say mind the gap my heart would just sink because I knew inevitably I'd have to ask for help to get off the train and and so that was the main reason. And also that the brain tumour had left such a huge gap in my life, taken a lot away from me. So And when you've then so however I like that name. Like I, I always find it so interesting. Why did people write the name of a of a yeah. but so the things that you put on there, apart from that people can find out about your story a bit more and they can contact you and you've put lots of useful links and stuff on there for people. That's What's the right. kind of thing, like how often do you go on there and do you do it monthly, weekly? I I tend to, I did, I used to blog every week. I wrote a, a post every week. But as my life has got busier, because I'm doing some other research at the moment, some social history research, um, I find that it's hard to have the mind time to, to write the post. So at the moment, I've been writing them once a month, mm. but I feel I need to write them more frequently to keep people coming to the blog to look at them. So, so, but yeah, once a month at the moment. So, but I don't think it matters. It, no. It's just when something comes to mind that I feel is it would be helpful to other people to read. I think, yeah, one of the things I've learned about blogs and stuff is they're right for people at different times in their life. Exactly. So your yeah. blog will be beneficial to somebody that, well, something you've written and then, you know, we all put it into the SEO or the S, whatever it is, SOE or whatever you call them, yeah. social, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And you kind of, um, it is, it's about people at different stages. So this is not only that you want to share this, but it is kind of your journey. So it's at different stages for you. So you don't want to do it all the time. But when you do, it's really valid what you're writing. Yeah. And there's other things, though, on your blog that you've got. So you also had the UK Blog Award which is amazing. Yes, that's right. I um I last year not not 2016 2015 I came highly commended in the health category of the UK blog awards which I was very very proud about proud of. Yeah, so attended a nice award ceremony in London and uh, yeah, so that in a way that that valid, that gave the blog validity which we all need, don't we? It's nice to have something validated. So I think mm. it shows that 
that's what I was saying is although you you don't write it on every you know you don't put it on every day but it shows you it was still so valuable to people mm. that it, that's that's worked and and it's a great place for people to find this stuff about you that's right and I also um, like to include, as you've just said, I include links to other organisations that I've found incredibly helpful because after my brain tumour, um, when I came out and was at home, it was only two years afterwards that I discovered there were charities, mainly obviously because I hadn't done any searching because I was too busy trying to get back on my feet. And brain tumour support, which was hammer out in those days, um, was a phenomenal help to me. I joined their support group and received counselling through that charity. And I always say I think they saved my life because I don't know what at that stage in my life I wasn't in a very good place. And, And it was great to mix with like minded people. And, and you know, know that if lots of other people were feeling the same way that I was. Did you find did you, the, the brain tumour um, support groups or did you then go afterwards, go and find support groups for the breast cancer? Or were you kind of, because you said it was harder for you with the brain tumour, did you find that, which one, did you go to both or did you just, like, did you go to any of the ones for the breast cancer? Well, that, that's a very interesting question. I I went to a centre called the Penny Braun Cancer Centre, um, which is a centre that's not far from where I live, which is an amazing centre. They do all sorts of holistic therapies. And I was really happy to be able to go there. And I laughed when I went because I said to the ladies there, I feel like I've got my breast cancer's giving me the golden ticket because I didn't feel I could go there with my benign brain tumour. Mm. But actually, they've said, had I known about it, I could definitely have gone there with my brain tumour too. Um, so, yeah, I used that, their services for a while. But actually, I don't, I've never felt the need to go to a support group for my, my breast cancer because it was. I feel like it was an episode in my life. It's over. It's done with. I have one year, uh, annual scans now, mammogram scans, and I live in the, in the vein that I don't think it will come back. Yeah. And so I've tried, I'm not, I don't try and forget it because obviously it will always be there, but I don't feel the need to get any support at the moment so do you go and have um yearly scans as well for the for the brain tumors now for the brain tumor or do you do you not need to have because i know eventually people don't have to if they feel they've Mm. continuously had you know clear scans from you know five six years down the line they tend to say you know you don't really need one now unless you you want one they tend to say you know if you feel you need something then come back um but otherwise they do eventually say you don't really we don't need to do this every year or every two so do you still go back I do, yes. Um, I think the year of my breast cancer would have been the year where the neurosurgeon would have said, well, we'll start doing it every two or three years. But because I'd had the breast cancer, he recognised without me having to say anything, it wasn't the right time to stop doing the brain scans Mm -hmm. because my my anxiety was running so high. 
and so I do I still have I had one this year and I'm sure I'll have one next year and then we'll see yeah I mean that next year will be my ninth year free of regrowth of any kind mm-hmm. so you know that's incredible isn't it so we're going to be having a party for that <laughs> I would think so yeah <laughs> we're coming to you any house. excuse for a party oh, exactly yeah. <laughs> so just because I want people to find you on Twitter and things like that and just yeah. to let people know what is your Twitter um, account called I'm Dawn at, sorry, at Dawn underscore Hamill. Hamill, okay. And then they'll find you. And are you on there all the time or, you know, is that the best place to find you? Um, yes. I mean, my on my blog is my email address. And quite often I get emails from people who've started reading the blog and just want to share a bit of their story or talk to me. So if if, if you go onto my blog, which is mine, the gap a hyphen Z, um, then you, you can find my email address if you wanted to contact me. Um, Twitter, I'm not social i'm not on social media a huge amount because i haven't i have yet to get um a smartphone i use an ipad at home but i'm at home quite a lot so if i'm at home i'm on twitter so yeah i do find that you really do support people on your twitter because you don't just kind of a lot of people they can write their own stuff but they don't always you know you do actually retweet so many other bloggers and other information and stuff which i think is great because not everyone does that so it shows you're really like a mix you you give information as well as not just from you but you'll send people in the right direction and yeah well i think i think that's the amazing thing about twitter is that it is an absolute minefield of information and and that information is to be shared what i also love is the positivity statements that i find on there and that's my whole focus is to share things and messages and quotes that have a positive um theme to them because i i've always been a glass half full kind of person and i still am and i try and find the positives in everything yeah i have bad days but um, I, you know, on a level, I like to just find the positive wherever I can. Yeah. And some of the places that you have found for other email, like people that you have met on Twitter or on places, I know that you're quite a big fan of Chris Lewis, who we've we've met him a few times here because um, he's not far from Croydon. So we've had the you know privilege of meeting him. And you do have kind of that community that you wouldn't, you didn't have, like none of us had before. You do have this community where you share this information. Everyone shares each other's stuff because ultimately you want to get it out there for as many people as possible, you know, and um, it's a nice thing to be a part of, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, before my brain tumour, I wasn't even on Facebook. But when I started writing my blog, an author friend of mine who was helping me to learn to write properly um, said to me, if you're going to write, you're going to have to sell your soul to social media. It's true. It's true. So I joined Facebook, I joined Twitter. And it's true, if you're going to write things, you've got to put it out there because mm-hmm. people don't won't find it otherwise. Um, but, yeah, in, as, a re, as a result of doing that, I came across you, I came across Chris Lewis and lots and lots of other people. I mean, epilepsy support was phenomenal. I met a gentleman via Twitter <clears throat> 
and only on Twitter. And he gave me some huge supportive tweets at a time when I really, really needed it. Yeah. And nobody really understood apart from him. It was just amazing. And that's all on Twitter. Yeah. So it is. It's brilliant. It social works. media for there's, health. There's, yeah. There's good and bad sides to having social media. And I have to say that the social media for supporting people in areas where, mm. you know, you might not find it around the corner what you need, but you can go online and find people that way. And to me, it's a bit of a godsend that we can yeah. interact that way. Um, so, for you know, his, uh, I, I like to yes, in places I like agree. that. Yeah. I agree with you, Claire, wholeheartedly. There's so yeah. many negative sides to it, but there is so many pluses as well. So, you know, there's, it's the same with everything. There's always two sides of the coin. So, but it is worth seeing. Okay, right. So, as always, I always say that I get blown away because we're always at the end of the show in terms of oh. one, I always ask people about songs and you gave me three songs that are really important to you and thank you very much for sharing your your experience and everything and thank you for the blog that you're doing for sharing well, thank you for inviting me Claire <laughs> it's okay and I will speak to you very soon 